0: Hey there, everybody. Matthew Hall here. In case you didn't notice, we were not originally scheduled to release a full-length episode this week. Our plan had been to release a short leadership checkpoint. But just over the weekend, we learned that Rick Woolworth had passed away in recent days. As you'll hear in this interview, Rick was a remarkable individual who lived a remarkable life. A longtime veteran of Wall Street, he walked away from that career to start something new, the Telemachus Network, Along with his beloved wife, Jill, Rick poured himself into Telemachus, helping other leaders understand the significance of mentorship and grow in their mentorship capacity. He leaves a remarkable legacy, one which is really needed in our time. Of course, our thoughts and prayers are with the Woolworth family, especially his wife, Jill. We also realize Rick leaves behind a wide network of friends. Surely, that pain of loss is a sign of the depth of friendship. We had originally planned on releasing this interview with Rick in early 2022, but his passing made it seem like this week was the right time. We hope it's a small testimonial to Rick's generous spirit, his kindness, and his thoughtfulness. Rick Woolworth was, by far, the most thoroughly prepared and intentional guest we have had on the show. He went above and beyond to communicate with us beforehand, to make sure that he was ready, and he absolutely delivered. We were honored that Rick was a guest on Leading Forward. We hope you enjoy the interview and are challenged by it. We think Rick would have wanted it that way. Welcome to Leading Forward, where we focus on building healthy leaders for healthy organizations. I'm Matthew Hall, joined today by my friend, my co host. Ben Dockery. Ben, good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Fun to be here. Yeah, I guess our podcast listeners can't actually see you, but uh, here we are. And <laughs> uh, man, it's it, we had such a, a good interview today. I think listeners are, are going to really enjoy the conversation we had on a topic that really matters. I mean, I can just tell you on the place where I serve, on a campus where I serve, this topic that we focused on today is almost on a regular basis every week, I'm having a conversation about this theme with someone. So tell us a little bit about our guest. Yeah, today we had a chance to talk
1: with uh, Rick Woolworth. And Rick's a veteran of Wall Street, He's 35 years there, spending most of that career with Morgan Stanley. And then a little over 10 years ago, he started and founded as currently the president of Telemachus, which is an organization that is uh, jumping right into this conversation about what is mentoring and how do you connect generations and how do you foster conversations that matter to help people shape the life that they uh, really want to do. And so um, Rick and his wife also served at Stanford's Distinguished Career Institute. That's one of the ways that they uh, professionally tried to invest further in understanding mentoring. And so yeah, Rick's just a wealth of knowledge and was really fun to talk to today. I, I don't know what uh, what might have stood out to you today, Matt, but one of the things that that he said and one of my favorite parts about doing this is talking to guests prior to and after uh, the formal interview time but one of the things he said right off tape and I'll just share this with listeners is he said that the number one thing a leader can do in terms of their the ROI on their life um, is to invest in a younger leader is that the amount of time that it takes to invest in someone's life and the benefit and the potential trajectory change in someone's life. There, there's no there's no greater impact than than mentoring and stepping in. To me, that just kind of stood out as a highlight of the day. So, what about you? What was a what was a
0: highlight? I think he's totally right. By the way, yeah, I I, I think the way he frames the whole concept of mentorship as this kind of whole life mentorship, and he's honest about the fact that you got to get there. You can't start out on day one with you know that, but but the goal is to build you know friendships and relationships that are have this mentorship dynamic i think that's a game changer for people i think it can be really intimidating of course at first but when you buy into it when you catch a vision for it and that roi like you just articulated ben it's transformative and i'll just say as i've gotten older the people that i want to follow after and and i say okay i want to i want to end that way i want to i want to end you know when i get to 70 or whatever i want to be like that person my calculus, even looking down the road, looks a little different now than it did in my 20s. I mean, I, I don't want to end up bitter, angry, lonely. You know, you just fill in the blank. And so, a lot of the leaders that I looked at when I was in my 20s, I go, I didn't really see the full picture. And that, as you get older, you go, okay, I want a mentor who really is going to set me up to flourish in every way and every area of my life and help me in that. So, I think this conversation with Rick is is so helpful. You're going to benefit from it, listeners. And we'll have a number of links in the show notes. Where you can find links to the uh, Telemachus group, and you can find links to articles that Rick's written and any number of other resources that'll be uh, relevant to the conversation. Again, if you enjoy it, we would ask you, please do give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and share it with a friend. It's a great conversation. We hope you enjoy it. Here is our interview with Rick Woolworth. Rick Woolworth, welcome to Leading Forward. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, this this has been, I think, a really important conversation for our listeners, because as you have pointed out in some of your writings, so many people are longing for mentors. They're longing for those kinds of relationships, and yet they can't find them. So I, before we kind of get into kind of some of the big questions and categories out there, can you tell us a little bit about your story? How does a guy from Wall Street end up launching an organization like Telemachus and really, devoting this season of your life to this whole vision—how did that happen?
2: Yeah, it is a bit of a uh, non sequitur <laughs> in a way, but I would say it started back in my in my thirties. Jill and I were invited to a conference that was hosted by Bob Buford, and Bob, as as you know well, is was the uh, writer of halftime and a very strategic guy. And the conference was for emerging leaders who had some sort of faith uh, interest. And so we went, and we didn't know anybody there. And this this thing was called the Foundation. And all it was was a four-day conference, great speakers, great musicians. And that really <clears throat> that began to change the trajectory of our life. And we went every year for 15 years. And during that time, I began to get to know Bob Buford, and he became a mentor for me, unfortunately, over the next several decades until he died several years ago, even though I didn't see him very often. And so that was, that was a really important event. And we met so many wonderful people, and we were challenged on big questions of life. And really, it was about application. How do you become you know, the person you want to be, the best version of yourself over time. And so, you know, I and in my work life, I whenever I was managing people, I enjoyed managing downwards and developing people. And I I really didn't like managing upwards at all. And also I began in my I'd say 40s and 50s just spending time with younger people and and talking about life. And that was very invigorating for me. And so I began to, in my 50s, when my career was beginning to wane, I began to have this shadow that was following me around, and I couldn't get rid of it. And it was to start to found an organization dedicated to intergenerational relationships and mentoring, and to help younger people flourish in what is becoming a more and more complex culture we live in, and navigating is getting harder. It's not easier than it was 100 years ago, it's just more complicated. And so and I, I got some some close friends kind of fired up about the idea, and and off we launched eleven years ago this thing called Telemachus, and uh, it's hard to pronounce when you see it. it looks like Telemachus. But just so people know how we chose the name, Telemachus, in Greek mythology was the son of Odysseus and when Odysseus is about to begin the Odyssey, which was 20 years, he found a man to be a surrogate father for his little son named Telemachus, and the man he found was named Mentor. So that is where we got the word Mentor. So I really credit uh, going back to to Bob Buford. I wouldn't be on this call if it wasn't for him. Yeah, that's great. And and Rick, one of the notes about that, and and I assume
1: Bob did this, but I know it's been a hallmark of your efforts there is not just thinking about mentoring in the category of the professional life or someone's career path, but trying to try to broaden the horizon on that, and make it personal. The name of your HBR article was Great Mentors Focus on the Whole Person. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about why that is one of the unique contributions uh, that your group is making to this conversation around mentoring.
2: Yeah, it's it's been fascinating that as uh, the more and more I got into doing what I do and talking about mentoring, et cetera. And it's amazing how this word mentor is, you know, we use it all the time, but people have never really thought about what is it and what is it not? Can anybody be a mentor or not? And what are best practices for a mentor, etc. The more I got into it and I just, my approach whenever I was talking to younger people is we want to help that person become the person they're meant to be, become the best version of themselves, which is a, a very holistic concept. And so it's, for me, it's very natural. However, so many people, when they think about mentor, think of it in a work context. And if you do any research on mentoring, you will see that most of the articles and and books written tend to be career oriented when when they think of the word mentor, which is a good thing. But I began to think, you know, you could be a mentor to someone for their career and you really don't know much about the rest of their life. That's not, you, you actually could give them bad advice. You know, I could tell a young lawyer if he said, How do I become partner? I could say, Look, lawyers work by the hour. You got to turn the lights on in the morning and turn off at night. And I haven't really asked you questions about your, your home life. Oh, you have a spouse or you have kids or what else do you care about? Your health. And so, in order to give them good work advice, I think I need to know more about their life. And and then you think about what is the ultimate objective of men- of mentoring? People who do it have often not thought about that question. And I would say my job is to help that person get on a flourishing path, meaning all aspects of life are kicking in, and sustain it. Because how many leaders do we know get on a good path and then – 20, 30, 40 years later, it doesn't end well. So for me, I, you know, I'd like to think of a person represented as an iceberg and 10% of the math, mass and volume is above the, the surface. And I could mentor to that 10%, let's say it is their career, but there's so many more layers to that person. And I would love to, over time, let's talk about some of the other things like your marriage or your parenting or your finances or your health, or your spiritual life, whatever. That's, that's you. You're not just a career.
0: So uh, that so resonates, Rick, with what we're trying to talk about really in this whole podcast, right? The focus on health and, and you use the term flourishing. I think those are, you could just ex- interchange those. At the same time, you kind of have to start somewhere, right? And I think for a lot of people who are either looking for a mentor or people who are eager to help mentees, it can feel a little overwhelming to say, well, but take the whole iceberg or, to use your <laughs> metaphor. So you yeah. kind of have to start somewhere. So when you talk to someone, let's, let's take, for example, the person who says, okay, I had somebody at work or in my church or wherever I am, they asked me to mentor them. Where do I start? You know, because I can't quite get my yeah. arms around the whole iceberg yet. How do you, wh- what would be some practical advice on where to start?
2: As a mentor or as a, as a mentee?
0: Yeah, as as a mentor, you know, just maybe I mean, most of us have never really been coached on how to be an effective mentor. So where do you yeah. start?
2: Well, first off, I, I always want to get to know them as well as I can. And so I what I do, and this may not work for everybody, is virtually for every time I'll say, uh, okay, Matt, tell me your story. Start at the very beginning. And I want to you know, roll it out. I want to hear about your, your upbringing, your relationship with your parents, things you like to do in high school and college. And, 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 uh, and then if you want me to, I'll tell you my story. And it's a wonderful way of kind of opening up the apertures of being able to talk about other things over time. But ultimately, uh, you, you want to get to the question of what's keeping you up at night. You know, what is the uh, my wife's a marriage and family therapist. The, the the therapist speak is what is the presenting issue? Right? So it's and often it's a career issue. Am I in the right career? I've got a, a boss and I don't get along well. Or I'm at a firm, I don't like the culture, or whatever. And so we talk about that. And I and the job of a mentor and really the paintbrush of a mentor, I believe is the question it's the art of the question you know quick with a question slow with the answer and so you know i'll just be asking questions like well you know tell me about that issue what's your strategy so anyway just unpacking that and so in, in a first meeting those are the kind of things you're going to be talking about and then if we meet again you know sometimes you have you have the opportunity to t- to say, "Well, t- tell me um, tell me about your home life. how's it going? you know you're you're married, and sometimes you can ask the question like, on a one to ten scale, rank your marriage. <laughs> and so you have to gauge the the uh, how deep people want to go your your people you're talking to, and the and also the context. Is it appropriate to ask those kind of questions or not? But over time, you you can begin to probe into other parts of life. Um, but it's sort of case by case.
1: Yeah, I love the the uh, great questions drive those types of conversations. One of the phrases I use all the all the time with our team is that the quality of your life will largely be determined by the quality of the question that you ask. And I, when I was uh, just scanning back through your uh, the article on mentoring prior to this, I just cut and paste that whole list of great questions that you had in there into a Evernote file that I use. It's just a, Oh man, I got to come back, come back to some of these, but I'm not quizzing you on what those are, but I'd love to hear you talk about uh, just some of those go-to questions. You already mentioned one, what keeps you up at night, but are there any questions that you found that just really help uh, open a conversation or move from more professional life to personal?
2: Yeah. Ultimately I, I like to, to, I think of, you know, there's sort of first order issues and second order issues, you know? And so I'm always probing for the things that are, that are the motivate, the motivating parts of of what people are doing and, and why. And so if I only had one question to ask and one only, it would be, what is success for you? You want to be successful? No doubt about that. Okay. And I want to ask the question, what is long-term success? So if you're, let's say, 30 years old, I'll say, okay, today you're not 30. You're 80. Today is your 80th birthday. People are, are coming to celebrate you from all over the country, and they're going to stand up and say nice things about you, hopefully. So write down either now or by next time five little bullet points of what you want people to say. And I would say that it's a pretty good proxy for what is success for you. And let's look what's on that list. And, gee, what's on there is often about relationships. And it's not about that I created a killer startup or I had $100 million in the bank or you know, whatever all that sort of thing can be. It's really about the things that really matter. So if that's 50 years from now, we now have to, you've got to set a course that's going to get you there because there's a lot of things that are going to be pulling you off course during the next 50 years. And another question I often ask uh, is, okay, priorities. That's long-term. Over the near term, you're pulled in lots of different directions, right? So one to five, put down, what are your ideal priorities? So what comes first, second, third, fourth, fifth in, in primacy, not necessarily in amount of time? And so I'll say, I'll give you an example. I'll say, okay, mine are God first, Jill second, kids and families third, Telemachus fourth, and five is everything else. So that person, you know, writes those five down. Now I'll say, what is the actual if we're to interview your best friend or your spouse or whoever, what would they say is the actual priorities? And and then I'll say, Jill did this for me three years ago. Okay. She said, and Jill's a pretty bold person. She said, I want to, I want to tell you what I see in your life as far as your order. First is telemachus. Second is golf. (laughs) Third is Jill. Fourth is kids, you know, maybe fifth is God. So whatever it was, I was out of balance, right? Out of against my my ideals and so uh anyway it's a it's a fun exercise to do because we're always you know never in perfect harmony with our ideals but it gets at okay how are you really prioritizing your life today and that's really important as well as what is the long-term goal so those are just two examples yeah
0: i think we need to do another episode with jill uh, when this is done,
2: because <laughs> yeah, that that's an fun.
0: incredible exercise. I mean, to go through, I'm curious when she said that, when she gave you her list, did you, did the lights kind of immediately come on for you, Rick, or were you, did you kind of have to process and go, well, what? like
2: a lot right, of us were right, be I think, she, self-defensive, you know? She had me right in the crosshairs. She nailed it, huh? Okay. <laughs> she nailed it. And, and by the way, I I need, I need, and I made some adjustments. Yeah. Okay. So, well, uh, our you, you, were, you were not quite <laughs> what it was a few months ago. <laughs>
0: Well, you reminded me of a, we did in a conversation with Dave Evans, who our listeners know from that episode. And Dave talked about a similar season in his life where he had to, you know, and he's using design theory, but he said, I, you know, I had to fix it. I had to fix the problem. And yeah. and I think that wh- however you use, whatever terminology you use, we need people in our lives who can kind of hold a mirror up to us and say, yeah, your, your self-awareness is not accurate. Yeah. A follow-up question on some of this, Rick, is one of the things that gets left out sometimes in these conversations, and I'd love to hear you reflect on it. Is when do you know that a mentorship relationship isn't working or it's not going to work? Like, have you ever just had to say, you know, we're gonna have to walk away from this? You know, the other person is just not invested in it the way they need to be, or any other. Have you ever had that happen, or with people
2: that you've advised? Uh, I'd I'd say rarely. I think you know, mentoring is it's kind of like dating. It's like friendship. You know, they 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 come and go. You know, they. And I like to say that mentoring begins often for a reason and then it can become a season and it can become a lifetime. And those are really the the best, but so many are just, you know, for a reason or a little bit for a season and then they they fade off and that's fine, right? Circumstances change. There are times I'll, I'll talk to someone for a couple of times and I just think they're already on the path. They don't really need me anymore. And also, I think that it, there's a chemistry thing, and there's an energy thing. Energy needs to be flowing a bit both ways in, in a mentoring relationship. This is kind of like a friendship, right? If you're not feeling kind of an affinity to that person, then likely you're not going to spend a lot of time with them. So I think all this is, is pretty organic, and so I don't worry too much about that.
0: Well, I think, it's, I think that's helpful for you to say because – I think for both mentees and mentors, sometimes coming into it, it can feel like you're saying I do at the wedding altar and you go, well, are we pledging ourselves for like a life and and to just hear you say there is an organic dynamic here and it may be a short term thing or it may be a lifelong friendship
2: and just to give it space to develop. I think that's really important. If someone, if someone comes up to me and says, would you be my mentor? I go, whoa, (laughs) you know, let's date. No, date, don't mate. Right. I like to say, yeah, you know, date, don't, mate, iterate. In other words, iterate sort of down, you know, whether the con- relationship can, should continue and you want it to continue. And sometimes it does. And I, and I would say too that I think sometimes we put a little too much um, importance on meeting our mentors, you know, and I find the best kind of mentoring really happens when you just hang out together. You do, you you just do things, you know, you may go to an event together or, uh, you know, go play golf with someone or we have often we'll have a couple or a single person over for dinner. I want them to meet Jill. I want them to see how we live and, you know, how we do life. Because I think people really underestimate that in mentoring you as a role model Is maybe the most powerful part of what you're doing with that person. They're watching. It's also a little scary because, you know, I don't know if they want to emulate everything I do. But it's, you know, when I hung out with Bob Buford, I'm not just listening to his words. I'm watching how he, how he approaches life, how he handles his wife Linda, and what they do together, and how they deal with the 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 waiter, and all those other things. So I like to, as much as you can spend time together, that's
1: really valuable. So, I mean, you, you jokingly said this, but people come up to you and this is, uh, Hey, will you be my mentor? And I'm assuming that has happened to you any number of times as well as, as others. But what advice would you have for a younger person? Let's just take a, you know, someone in early career and she's, she's growing on the fast track, but now she's at a place where she clearly realizes she wants to take the next step and needs someone either in the organization or outside the organization. What is the? How do you raise your hand? How do you say I'm looking for a mentor? What is the proper approach or a good way to forward on that?
2: You know, I I, uh, I would say don't be shy. And that first of all, you want you want to choose wisely. I, I think you know there are a couple. There are many different types of mentors, and so if we're just looking in inside the organization, I can look for people who I think can help me advance up the curve in my career. And, you know, you might get to talking to somebody who you, you has, have respect for. They're more senior in the organization. And, and you say, hey, uh, Sally, can I buy you a cup of coffee next week? And, and so it's really just asking for a meeting or, gee, could I stop by and, and just share with you a couple of things that's on my mind? And so, yeah, they can always say no, but I think a lot of most senior people will say yes.
0: Yeah,
1: that's good. And and the reverse of that is the opposite question: oh. is what do you say, and how do you coach folks who? And, and I see people all the time in my mind who are in my community and my network who I'm thinking that is a fantastic mentor. Someone would just be you know, what a benefit to be able to sit and spend some time with that person. They don't see themselves as, oh, I'm a mentor because yeah. they didn't get a certificate in that. And they don't they don't have a structured program. They don't know what to do next. So they're not raising their hand to say, I'm going to mentor or who's going to get in line. And how would you start that anyway? So what advice do you have for people that maybe don't think of themselves that way? But, uh, you know, it would be great to step into a category like this and to, to open up.
2: Yeah, I, you know, this is part of an enormous problem in our culture right now. And that there's a massive shortage of mentors and there's a the the demand for mentors is very high and it's it's very frustrating because most of my peers don't think of themselves that way and they they either self-disqualify well i've got too many skeletons in my closet or a younger person wouldn't want to talk to me i'm a dinosaur or i don't understand their world you know what am i going to say to them about the life they're, they're living and I like to say to people like that, you're you're highly qualified. You're highly qualified, and people really do want to talk to you. But it's really hard to get people to to step up. I've I've been very frustrated with that with peers. They sort of say, "Oh, that must be really rewarding what you're doing," and I want to say, "Yeah, jump in." But that's right. In, in fact, what we're really focused on is is getting peop our people with us in their thirties and forties to begin mentoring now and not waiting till they're older. Because if you're 35 or you're 40, you can have an enormous impact on someone who's 22 or 25. Cause they're looking up at you and saying, wow, you know, look at Ben. He's, he's done all this. And you might say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm still in process, but in fact, you can be a terrific mentor because all you have to do is, be available and ask good questions. And there's something that is really uh, impactful when you change seats and you become a mentor because you're the one who's, who's thinking about, gee, what am I trying to do here? What are the, what are the questions I should be asking? And if I ask a question, I'd be able to answer that myself. (laughs) You know? So, Anyway, it it is something about it. It, Maybe it's like being a teacher, you know, when you're the one who learns the most in the the classroom, but it it really is a important moment. So I just encourage them to, to, you know, jump in whenever they can, but it's, it's hard to get them to do, to do that.
0: I have found if you work on like a college or university campus, you age really fast. And so (laughs) like in your thirties and forties, you you're like they're ready to put you into the nursing home almost. It seems because the college students, they're still 21, 20. So I think for a lot of folks, maybe in their forties, fifties, and even beyond as they get older, and maybe even as they, so to speak, climb the ladder, you know, we hear sometimes that leadership is lonely, especially at some of those Mm -hmm. senior spots within an organization. So there may be a, in that case, a lot of, people that want to be mentored by this person, but that person feels like, man, it feels really lonely in this role. And they they may not call it a mentor, but they're still kind of looking to grow and learn. And honestly, a lot of us are thinking, I'll just say this, in my 40s, the people that I'm watching and want to learn from, the criteria are a little different than they were in my 20s. I'm looking at the the people who I think, okay, they have adult children that they are now they're friends with, they have meaningful friendships And the career stuff's important. Sure. But honestly, the the calculus to me in my forties looks a little different than it did in my twenties. Mm. And I, I anticipate as I age, that's mm. only going to increase. So how do you advise just leaders in general who may feel kind of like they don't have a lot of mentorship opportunities available for them as mentees? Where do
2: they go? What do they do? Well, it, it is a challenge. You know, here i am i am a, I'm a, uh, I'm 69, so <laughs> it's getting harder to find mentors. But you, you know, age is, uh, is a misleading thing, right? There, there are people who are are 40 going on 20, and their 40s going on 60. And so, you know, the older you get, I think that the more you look for peers too who have a lot of wisdom. And so, you know, I, I know I put a greater and greater premium on people who are wise, and they're not necessarily always older than me. And so you, know, you have to kind of deal with what you have <laughs> available. And also, you know, sometimes seek people out.
0: But that, that concept of peer mentorship that you've brought out, that's not, we don't hear a lot about that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, our assumptions tend to be age or kind of rank or status, you know, that's the great divider or the, the qualifier for somebody to be a mentor. That whole theme, can we tease that out a little bit, the peer mentorship? I mean, just how have you, are there examples you can give us of how you've seen that play out in ways that, that will help maybe paint the picture for us?
2: Yeah. You know, going back to the uh, foundation conference that I mentioned that really put us on a new journey in early. So we met back then two couples. uh, One was Bill and Chrissy Haslam, and the other was Don Robin Flo. And we, you know, we went every year to that conference together and we began to do lots of life together. You know, we've got our kids and events and trips and on and on. And so these are two couples that we have, Jill and I have immense respect for. And their wisdom as well as their, you know, all the things that they are doing and, are, and have done. And so, you know, there are two examples of I really prize – we just spent uh, three days together, the six of us, uh, in July, and it was the best three days of the year. And, you know, we could, we're we all probing and, and asking each other the tough questions. And so I'd say, you know, they're fantastic peer mentors for me. You you mentioned the gathering um, or the annual meeting
1: that's there. I know that's one of the things Telemachus does is you host Mm -hmm. an annual meeting, bringing people together that are there. So tell us a little bit about what you're trying to accomplish there and how that fulfills the purpose and mission of
2: of what you're. Well, when you think about what what do we do within Telemachus, essentially what we do is we we have different events where we have two generations together. So at our event, we'll have 150 people, 50 mentors, and 100 of the younger crowd. And we engage for three days in, in, you know, in the, the big questions of life. And that, that has a, a faith orientation as well. And so what happens is that relationships form during that time through some pretty authentic conversations. And then we encourage those to continue. And a lot of them do. And so what we try to do is to put it, make sure that we have two generations together engaging on important topics. That's sort of the formula that we have. And it, it, it tends to work because there's so much of what we do today doesn't bring the two generations together. And one of the things I want to I sometimes say is I'm not one to make bold statements, but bold statement is when it comes to mentoring and role modeling, we're in a whole new moment in human history. And why is that? Because for thousands of years, If you were born, you lived, you worked, you died in the same community, in tribes, villages, urban settings. And so you always had your family ecosystem around you, and aunts and uncles, and and built in mentor types. And you work with the same people for the most part. And so you had had people look up to and, and role model off of. It was always very organic. And now with millennials living in, not living in their hometown for the most part, they don't have the family ecosystem and jobs are turning over every 2.8 years. So the built in senior people, you know, I worked at Morgan Stanley for 23 years. So I had some senior people I could look up to and, and, and role model off their, particularly their business skills, but that doesn't exist today. And so we have this generation of that's kind of lust in space, if you will, when it comes to, to um, built-in role models. And so it, everything today and forward, mentoring has to be intentional. And that means younger people have to learn to with ways to lean in and develop mentors. And particularly the senior people need to recognize that they can play a huge role and reach down and spend time with younger folks. But that's a big change. Yeah.
0: Our, Rick, a lot of our conversation here has been around – individuals, what we can do either as mentors or mentees to make that more healthy and and lead to, you know, um, flourishing really. Are there things that in your experience that you've seen that organizations can do? In other words, that leaders can say, whether it's a kind of, you use the word intentionality, are there things that organizations can do at that scale that you think can help facilitate this kind of vision or is it, does it have to be organic? Does it have to be
2: entirely kind of individual? Yeah, I think I think um, my limited experience is it is very hard for organizations to have successful mentoring programs, and when you start pairing people up, even if you have an algorithm, et cetera, it it often doesn't doesn't work. And first of all, I think the senior people, particularly the CEO version, you know, whoever that is, needs to be doing this and, and modeling it, and. I think your review systems and how you how you review people needs to include: Are you developing and, and, and mentoring younger people? So it becomes part of the reward system. And uh, you know, I think if to help people, you know, train them, if you will, give them a little bit of a few resources to help them become mentors, and then recognize that you know, there's going to be a few, there's going to be some certain people that are really good at it. And I'd say invest in those people, (laughs) and turn them loose. Right. Because there's going to be some others who are just too introverted and it's not their thing for whatever reason, they're just not comfortable doing it. So I don't think you should assume everybody can be a mentor.
1: I mean, so to, on that same question, mentoring within an organization or trying to think of an organizational structure in which to do that, there are two uh, pushbacks or two immediate hurdles that I see or have seen as part of that. One is because you can't do it for everyone, you can't do it for one, right? And so therefore, uh, because it's not, it's going to create some sort of inequity. We can't do this for everyone unless we have a system. So we're not going to push it because it'll seem unfair. That's one. Two, to your whole point about trying to make this more than professional, once you start uh, leaning into people's life in a personal way and getting to know them personally, doesn't that complicate our professional life? Doesn't that make... That's not what organizations are for. That's not what business place is for. And and all of a sudden, now you've you've stepped into the territory. You're outside your lane. I can hear both of those as mm-hmm. ways to kind of shut this down. How have you navigated around those
2: well, I think that mentoring has to be very contextual in that, sure, if I'm in the workplace, uh, first of all, I I don't think you can really mentor somebody who works for you. You can to a certain extent, but it's easier when they don't, you know, they're on another part of the organization. So there's going to be certain questions you just wouldn't go to. Right. And so you have to find the comfort zone and particularly focus on, on their career life and helping them flourish as a professional. But I think that, you know, to ask them about their personal life, just so you know, the context of where they're coming from, and we can talk about things like the amount of time you spend at work and what time you go home at night. Well, for some people, it doesn't matter because they have nothing to go home to. But if you have four kids under five, (laughs) it, it makes a difference. So it's very, very much where appropriate. I think you're
0: right. It's really hard to mentor, for example, a direct report in that kind of holistic whole life category. But I do think if you develop the skills of an effective mentor, they have benefits for you as a leader, as a manager in, for example, just showing human interest in the life of the people that do work on your team, you know, that it's not all transactional. So if you, if you grow as a mentor, it's going to have payoff in other areas of your, of your life and, and your work for sure. Rick, we, we've got one last question we always want to ask of guests, and you've been so generous with your time, but we, we, we really are convinced that healthy leaders are constant learners and mm-hmm. they are readers. And so we'd love to hear, what are you reading right now? What are you uh, learning from?
2: Well, I, uh, I mentioned my friend, Bill Haslam, and I, I will say I, I recently finished his recent book called Faithful Presence and he really talks about how does one be a person of faith in the political arena and and, and actually uh, at our conference this year we're going to have him interviewed by three of our younger generation asking the question of how do you be a faithful presence in whatever part of the whatever arena you're in business a church setting and a nonprofit whatever and uh, so it's a really it's a good book, and I love how Bill is, is quite authentic in telling some of his story about being, in the, being a governor and difficult decisions and, and uh, humility pills they had to swallow. So it's a good read. We
0: will have actually a link to all this in the show notes to your stuff, the uh, Telemachus link there, and, and we'll also have a link to Governor Haslam's book. It, it really is a helpful resource. So, Rick Woolworth, thank you so much for joining us on Leading Forward. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Well, thank
2: you, Matt and Ben. It's uh, been a great pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to Leading Forward. You can find helpful links in the show notes as well as all of our archived episodes at leadingforwardpodcast.com. Help us get out the word by sharing this episode with a friend and by rating and reviewing the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help. I'm Matthew Hall. I'll see you next time.